This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. Welcome to the Art of Charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. Today we're talking with my friend David Burkis, author of Under New Management. We're gonna talk about how to manage your existing network, why contacts at your former job or career might actually be more important now than they ever were, and how your productivity is affected by those around you, and how to maximize those effects for the better. And with that, welcome to the show. We bring together the best thought leaders, teachers, and exceptional individuals to teach you how to be a top performer in life, love, and at work. If you're new to The Art of Charm, we'd love to send you some top episodes and the toolbox where we discuss body language, nonverbal communication, persuasion, networking, negotiation, and everything else we teach here at AOC. In the US, just text CHARMED to 33444, that's C-H-A-R-M-E-D to 33444. Everywhere else, go to theartofcharm.com. We may not have all the answers, but we definitely have all the right questions. All right, let's talk to David Burkis. Tell us what you do in one sentence. That's how I start every show, and yours is no different. What do I do in one sentence? Mm-hmm. I make it easier for ideas to leave the ivory tower and get adopted by the people in the corner office that need them. Okay, so ivory tower being the, Academia, the right? academic. Right. Here's how you lead people. There's tons of great research on human behavior and leadership and how people interact in organizations, and a lot of it is written for an audience of other academics, so it gets published in a journal, it gets read by 12 people, and then right. nothing happens. Pat self on back. I invented a new concept. We tested right. it in a lab, never in a real company because that would be too much work. Dot dot dot. Right. And some Consulting. of it's, I mean, some of it is amazing, but because you don't speak practitioner, it never actually makes the transfer out of one realm into the other. And this realm, in my opinion, is desperate for it. It seems like that. And I read the book actually, the under new management piece, which. At first, I thought, where is the angle for AOC with this? Because at first glance, it's a roundup of all these things that many of us who read tons of business information or read tons of business books might have heard before. Things like, hey, open office spaces, not as good as you think, and flexible scheduling or flexible time off and things like that. Here's how the policy really works in action. And you've managed to take those topics, but then take a really deep dive into a lot of them in a really interesting way. And I would love to talk about some of that, but since this is Art of Charm, I also wanna steer completely off the road from what you wrote in the book and talk about how normal people who aren't necessarily business leaders can apply this stuff in their daily lives. Yeah, no, totally. And, and of course, I mean, I'm biased, but it can apply sort of everywhere. And I listen to AOC, so... Good reference, appreciate it. Totally, yeah. A degree symbol C. <laughs> right, <laughs> yes. The hats that we have have an A and then a degree symbol and a C. I love because it. it's my new favorite hat, actually. You can't get a small O. They don't do small O's right. on, on swag, not yet. That's awesome. Well, first of all, I, I love the branding, the way you've been able to do this. You travel around the world talking about things that you wrote about in a book, which you got from researching things that other people researched, and you just put it together in a way that's really genius. So your work product, it's real. But at the same time, you've managed to become this messenger that makes a living being the messenger of translating things into application, which in large part is what I also do on this show. I take something where everybody goes, here's a bunch of science, and I'm like, how do I make money with this? Or how do I become a better significant other with this? Or how do I negotiate a higher salary with this? You're doing that, and you're flying all over the world talking about it. I'd love to hear some of the topics that you're discussing right now. Yeah, and, and messenger is actually a really good term because that's kind of the goal is to say, hey, here are these great ideas you may not have seen. In network theory, the fancy term is structural whole, right? So we find that there's this desperate need <laughs> yeah. for if different clusters of people in different subjects and the person that can bridge the gap. That's you. There's a desperate need for that in a lot of different networks so we can bring those ideas together. I mean, really, it just comes from 
trying to connect things, to find sort of that through line between a lot of different ideas. So when such and such company does this, it gets a lot of press. You were talking about flexible work, unlimited vacation, Netflix, for example. Right, exactly. But what doesn't get a lot of press is over here, where a lot of people aren't in this community, can see it over here, is this amazing research on trust being reciprocal, right? Nobody earns trust. Trust is reciprocated. You give trust and then it's reciprocated to you. And that's what a unlimited vacation policy does, for example. So it's about sort of putting those two connections together. There's a ton of research here, even getting down to sort of the biochemical level of why people trust other people, why they trust their companies, etc. This just happens to be an example of that. And that's the goal is to sort of connect these. So you're looking at oxytocin on business insight. Very good. Yes. Well, oxytocin is like, yeah, it's never on Business Insider. Right. It's everywhere but on Business Insider. Right. Right. The example I gave is terrible. And that, I mean, that's honestly, that's kind of the reason that I wanted to write the book was that you read all this stuff, Business Insider, Mm -hmm. Vasco, Inc., whatever. I mean, my trainings as an organizational psychologist, like my mind goes to that. I'm like, but no one's writing about that. No. Well, it's time to do that, right? Because like you said, you might not ever employ anybody or you might just always be an employee. You might always be miserable, whatever. So unlimited vacation, other than saying, oh, that'd be great. I wish I had that. If you can know the underlying principle, there's probably somewhere else that you can build that trust relationship through reciprocation. Or if this is what you do at work, you work in HR and you think, oh, I'm never going to use a lot of this stuff, but I like Art of Charm. Suddenly you're like, wait a minute, I could totally champion a flexible time off policy and I need to use the following research to do it. So this actually does make sense. And I know you have a lot of topics that you've discussed both in Under New Management and in your previous work that will apply to literally everybody watching slash listening to this right now. Yeah, absolutely. So missing creativity is, is the exact same thing. It's here are a bunch of examples that we love to celebrate from creative companies, but here's the science behind it and can we apply it? And there are various different ways we can do that. You don't have to do the exact same thing as a Pixar to take advantage of what they do to make their work better. So what would you suggest we start with if we are sitting here and we're thinking, look, I'm not the boss, I don't own a company. How do I start to implement these things on my own or something of your work on my own? Yeah, so probably the number one thing that I think gets applied, whether you run an organization, work in an organization, leadership position, not leadership position, is in under management, there's a chapter about what I call writing the org chart in pencil. It's kind of this new way to do it. There's a lot of buzz around holacracy, although yeah, that's trademarks, so we probably already have to pay them for saying it right now. What does that actually mean? I've never heard that before. So it refers to like your Zappos companies and medium to some extent, but they're not a direct user of company which shall not be named because I don't want to pay any more money. Right. No, I'm kidding. It's this idea of no managers, self-driven teams, all of that sort of stuff, which is on one level, yes, that's great, right? And it's great if it can work for you. But if you're not in the position to say, if you're a peon, you can't say we should have no managers. Doesn't make any sense. Right. It's a little self-serving at that point. (laughs) Exactly. But the research underlying it actually deals with a fascinating study of teams and networks. And so you know, one of the things I hear often when I listen to AOC is that idea that you're the average of the five people you hang out with most. Right. Right. When we think about that in a corporate example or in any work example, we know we've got our four or five people that we trust to do all of our work. And we go back to them over and over and over again. One of the side benefits of writing the org chart in pencil, having more of these self-managed teams, is that we start to build teams out of the needs of the project instead of just who reports to who. You know, so the last time I had a manager, we had seven people that directly reported to her. So we were her team. Well, we're not really her team. We do a bunch of different stuff. We just all report to that one person. The research side shows that the best teams are actually better to sort of come together work on a project, and then go back into the network in the ether. So yeah, you might be the average of the five people you hang out with most, 
but it shouldn't be the same five people for this project as it is for this project as it is for this project. You need that kind of refreshing of old and new connections. One thing I thought was funny about the book was you're talking about all of these bigger companies, Netflix, and I almost said Blockbuster, but that's... Uh, maybe I think we few... probably do a mention of them, but it's <laughs> maybe. sort of an obituary. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes, but other companies, even Google tech companies like that, or General Motors, Ford, and things like that, a lot of what you're recommending in the book, I look at our small business with sub 20 employees right. and go, wait a minute, this is the only way we can work flexible team structures right. because we don't have a bunch of external teams and all these different things. Yes, we do have to communicate regularly using these tools because what else are we going to do? Right. We're all distributed. So it's funny to see these big companies go, oh, how do we solve this problem that we've been having forever? And the solution comes probably from necessity out of a small business back up through academic studies through your book and your teaching and then back down to these big companies and they go, this, this Berkus guy's a genius. I don't get the credit all the time. I yeah. wish I did. I don't deserve the credit. I mean, again, all I'm doing is pointing out connections. <laughs> Thank you so much. I all I'm doing is pointing out those connections. And yes. again, the other benefit that the smaller, you know, sub 20 or even sub 100 companies have is they can experiment more. When you've right. got 10,000 people, changing something is a big deal. When you've got 10, you could just go back to doing the way it was last week. And that's the same way that a lot of the academics find stuff, right? Through experimentation, right. design a study, et cetera. So that's really the key. And that's another thing that kind of applies whether you're just working individually in teams or whether you even want to take it outside of work is that idea of constantly experimenting and figuring out what's working for you. One of the things that you had mentioned earlier was that, of course, the AOC slash Jim Rohn slash everybody stole this quote, you're the average of the five people you spend most of your time with or whatever. I really thought it was that. you. Yeah. Of course, okay, and cool. naturally. And in the book, I should say, you mentioned that a lot of teams will work together and a lot of times people move on, they move into different industries, they go into different warehouses or silos where they work in different things, right. different companies, different industries. Your network then expands if you treat it right. And one of the things we talk about the most at Art of Charm is networking. We teach it at our live events, we teach it at our boot camps, we're constantly working on these skill sets. How can people who are transitioning jobs both use that to increase their network, maybe the non-obvious way that you're just meeting a whole bunch of new people, but also maintain the connections in your old job or your old industry so that they don't just become people you used to work with and instead become part of your greater network. Yeah, that second part is the really key thing. So if I can get a bit nerdy for a second. Please there's do. This, there's this awesome study of engineers in a lot of different firms. And engineers essentially work on things that then get patented. So mm -hmm. because of patent, the way patents work, we can actually track engineers through different companies. When you're filing a patent, you file everybody that's worked on it, your sort of current network, but you also file other patents. You have to reference the other patents that influence it. Total side other nerdy thing, Thomas Edison's actual patent for the light bulb is called Improvement in Electric Light because mm -hmm. it cites Jonathan Starr's patent, which was the actual inventor of the light bulb. He died on a transatlantic voyage back from Britain, so we never talk about stuff. Right, I was anyway, going to say, never heard of that guy. From, from the nerdy thing over here, back, back to over here. So one of the things that's really interesting, and a lot of people argue to sort of limit mobility and shut down communication with people when they leave, we think the obvious. If somebody goes from firm A to firm B, then they're going to take all of the knowledge they learned at firm A and use it to do their work at firm B. So mm -hmm. clearly firm B benefits from this person's knowledge, new person from an old network coming over. But what we actually find is that a lot of the information from firm B migrates back to firm A. So people who remain are now citing patents that were developed in firm B because that person who moved has become that structural hole we were joking about earlier. They're that sort of linchpin that's putting them together. The biggest thing I think for this is a lot of times people do exactly what you said. They treat former coworkers and employees and all that sort of stuff just as that former employees. Right. They don't make an honest effort to sort of keep in touch with them. And it doesn't take much right? It takes maybe a quarterly check-in, maybe an, an annual thing, depending on the nature of the relationship. But 
it's hugely important for that. And I know from AOC, you've talked about before the idea of finding jobs from weak ties, right? Because the people that you're with and close to don't have any more information than you do. Right, you work the with people them who are out day. in there. Yeah. The only way you can kind of get the permission to keep in touch with them is to have that kind of regularly check in with people so that you're keeping ties on it. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to Kajabi dot com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all gonna give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Is there a way to systemize this? Or I hate to use the word automate when it comes to people, but I think having a system for, oh, I should probably do this now is a good move, especially for those of us that maybe have a lot of different connections right. in a lot of different industries. 
it's hard to keep people top of mind. In fact, it's impossible to actually keep everybody top of mind. There are automated systems that you can use. I mean, there's software that you can use even like, I don't know if you use Contactually or those. Sort of I have. Lots of friends. I found like it didn't add much. It doesn't for me necessarily do what I needed to. Well, and the reason is you can also just kind of make it a habit. Like one thing that all of the social networks that are free are really good at is keeping you updated on other people's lives. <laughs> social right? media, if it's good for one thing, it's making you feel probably badly about everybody in your immediate and not so immediate circle. Right. Let's say it's a habit of like take a person a day when you see something actually comment on it. Not commenting on it on Facebook, commenting on it by sending them a more personal message, an email, a text, a call, or whatever. Like you've got this feed in front of you all day long of what other people are up to. And what do we do? We just kind of scroll through it because we're like, trying to like, I like get it. to, right. Or, or we click like and we think we're yeah. sort of done. Right. But again, it's showing that meaningful connection that you're making an effort to stay in touch with them. And to think back to the reciprocation and the trust thing, the, the thing that I've been amazed with is it goes backwards too. So when I make an effort to stay up to date on what you're up to, right? right. You had someone steal your bathroom scale. Right. And I send you. It was not a bathroom scale. It was a toilet seat. You're right. It was a toilet (laughs) seat. It was even worse. No, but but see, but what did I do? Remember, so you had that and then running through a bunch of other stuff. And what there was a bathroom scale thing because I emailed that to you. Do you remember this? You said in case you want something even more, even more fancy, fancy right? It was a bath. It was like a scale right. that weighs you while you're on the toilet, which right. is the ultimate. Like nobody needs this, right? But it tied back <laughs> to that thing, and so it's really just making a habit of that. Like there are things throughout your whole day that remind you of people you used to have in your network, and we do nothing about. We it. do nothing about. That's it. a really good point. So, I never thought about. So that. just making a habit to do that. I did that before contactually, and so to me it was sort of annoying that every thirty days it would say reach out to this person. You're like no, actually, hey. I did. I texted him about a toilet seat. Go away, contractually. And it takes like five seconds, literally masking for five seconds a day of that time when something happens that reminds you of Bob. Text Bob. This is so ridiculously simple that I'm irritated that I didn't (laughs) think of it before because... When also that I totally did it to you and then revealed and, and the mind And I still didn't thing. even get it. Right. Yeah. It's a brilliant point because we do check Facebook. Many of us slash most of us do check Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, whatever. Or LinkedIn and, if you still have one of those. Well, I don't know what that is. I've heard of that somewhere. If you look at this feed, you see things that people are up to. They're getting married. They've got a dog. They're a dog and then went for a walk on a nice beach. Even if it's a really simple non pivotal life moment, they don't have to be getting engaged or have right. a loss. You can still send that person a text. You can also click like, don't feel bad. You'll still get your little dopamine rush. You can click like, and then you can text them and say, I didn't know you got a puppy. That's so fun. Enjoy that or whatever it is that you want or a joke. It's much easier to do that. And it breaks through this. There's a wall there between social media and the rest of your real life. And this breaks through that where clearly they know that you found out about it through social media. So it's not creepy because it's public information that they want you to to see this, Right. right? It's out there. And instead of going, I'm going to interact with you like everybody else that doesn't really know you or you haven't talked to in 20 years interacts with you, you just say, I'm skipping the gatekeeper. I'm walking past the secretary, you know, the virtual secretary, and I'm going to go straight to your phone. And you have no idea how special that makes the person feel because you thought of them, right? When we post something, yeah, we want likes, we want the little dopamine hit, exactly what you said. What we never expect to have happen is two weeks later, somebody who saw that two weeks from now saw something else in their everyday life and thought to send it to us because of something we posted. So it creates more meaningful exchange. And instead of having it on some sort of automated software, we simply rely on our social media feeds to do pretty much the same thing. And in real life, I use also real life to right. remind me of people. It's weird, right? I use real life as a tool for other real relationships in my real better life. virtual life. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I saw somebody who looked like one of our mutual friends, but was much, much older. Mm. And I ended up kind of sneakily speaking of being creepy, taking a picture of this person at an airport eating like a burrito or whatever. Right. And I sent it to him and I was like, this is you in 20 years. And that sparked this conversation that went for the next few minutes while I was waiting for the plane. 
I don't have to have an automated follow-up sequence right. or even be looking at social media to see that. And for guys like you and I, for entrepreneurs who are constantly marketing with media, like check out our latest thing. Right. It's hard to do that because you don't want to message someone like, good luck with your launch every week that their thing launches. You want a little bit more personal connection. And if you just use your imagination out in, in the wild, you can see a car that reminds you of that person or a restaurant that reminds right. you of that person. It's so deceptively easy. I never thought about that. Or even just remembering a certain date or remembering whatever it is, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll give you another example. So Adam Grant, he wrote a whole piece about how virtual friends aren't friends. So Adam Grant is not a friend of mine because we're not real life friends, right? But we interact often. He, he blurbed my book, et cetera. And I remember reading on social media that he was prepping to give a TED talk. This was like a month before he actually went and, go, and to do it. Mm -hmm. And then I also, because I've been to TED Active, which is like the low rent TED. <laughs> Budget for TED. Right, for <laughs> economies. It's the clarion <laughs> Economy of TED. TED. Um, well, no, I mean, it's actually more fun because you get that. But anyway, that's a whole other aside. We'll talk about that later. I saw the schedule. And so I saw exactly what day it was. And literally, it was the night before he was going to go on because I just saw that and it made me think like, oh yeah, I remember he's been working hard on that because I saw that thing. And so I sent him a, just a quick email that was like, hey, good luck tomorrow. Good and you have no idea how special that makes him to feel. And then you actually mentioned it when you were saying at the airport, it turned into like a four or five minute thing. Yeah. That's the other key is you have that and then you go, so what's new with you? Yeah, of course. Right? And I literally had somebody do this to me yesterday, sending out a little thing. We went back and forth. And then, so what's new with you? That's when you get the update from your network on stuff you might not be aware of, et cetera. I think that's a really good point, asking, parlaying that into a conversation. So what's new in your world or what's new with you or how's the wife and kids? Something that's right. really standard, but also encourages them to respond. Because what you don't want, and this is something that I get sometimes that actually I won't say drives me crazy. It's not that level elevated, but it really puts a bad taste in my mouth. When somebody sees hey, I see you've got this going on. Let me know if you need help with this. There's two shades of this, right? <laughs> There's let me know if you need help with this. And you're like, wow, thanks. I could really use help doing this. Or I'll let you know, I might need help doing this. And it could be something for business or personal. And then there's the guy or girl who says, let me know if you need help with this. And you just know what they mean is, I'm happy to take your money for services rendered in this department. Right. You know, Oh, let me know if you need help marketing. It's not like, oh, you're going to share it with your followers on social media. That's the good side, right? And then the negative side is, yeah, I know you're a digital marketer and you want to do some Facebook ad campaign and you're basically plumbing our friendship here right. to try to fish for client leads and it's really distasteful. So you got to be a little bit careful to make sure you're offering real value or real friendship and not just, hey, let me know if you need a financial manager, here's my card, because that gets you axed from busy people's lives. And to me, that's the reason that any of these sort of automated regular systems of advice break down is that they're not authentic. I agree. What we're talking yeah. about is just a habit. Right. It's a habit that you yes. live and then people remember like, wow, you're that guy, right? You remember right. those things. Yeah, like you said, it becomes a habit that is a positive one for you that creates meaningful exchange versus, oh, this piece of software dinged me and said, it's time to send the form email right, to the, you. Hi, how are you doing? Then here's my pitch for whatever project I'm working on right. now type thing. It's like a bad Christmas letter from somebody you don't care about. Right. It's like me and the kids were stranded on the side of I-405 for three hours changing a flat. And I'm halfway through the letter. I'm going, wait, who is this person? Who is this? And I have to ask my mom who this person is. And, and isn't the purpose of those letters just to get people to feel like their life is way cooler than... I mean, that was the original usually, Facebook, right? right? The Christmas letter. <laughs> the Christmas once letter. a year summary of how awesome our life is. Yeah, here's a right? picture of me and my grandkids who are young and good looking and healthy. 
how's your miserable, lonely right, life going? Right, exactly. Yeah. There's a great, actually, that reminds <laughs> me, there's a great uh, David Sedaris essay in, uh, he's the comedian in, I think it's Holidays on Ice or whatever, that is, it's like the world's worst Christmas letter, but it's brutal in its honesty of like what's going wrong. It's also hilarious. And that, that makes me want to write like the world's worst Christmas letter of, here's all the terrible stuff that happens <laughs> this year. Hope you feel better about your season. It's brilliant, but the problem is, I feel like with a really good circle around you, you'd have all these people trying to help you and you just don't yeah. deserve it because yeah. your life is actually really great. <laughs> right. And everyone's just annoyed that you feel that it's not and that you need help. One of the things that I saw in your work as well is that your performance at work isn't just about you, but speaking of who you surround yourself with, it actually becomes better or probably worse depending on who you surround yourself yeah, with. Yeah, more often worse, actually. Tell us how this works and what we can do to maximize the benefit from this. Yeah, so let me get nerdy again. So this is a fascinating study. You got the Batman shirt on. Totally. Licensed to nerd. Totally. So this is a fascinating study by a guy named Boris Groisberg, who is already like, we got this deep-sounding academic. Props producer. on remembering that name. I pull out that one often and I pull out Mihai Csikszentmihalyi whenever yeah. I just want to sound smart. Because no one can write that one down. Right. And if yeah. you just say like Boris Groisberg says whatever, you sound smart. Yeah. So you're, Boris Groisberg says. You're bridging that <laughs> academic and practical world even now. So Boris and his team studied ranked analysts and institutional investors. Now, what that means is there's this magazine called Institutional Investor for Institutional Sounds Investors. very exciting. Right. Well, what it is, is it's a magazine about those big people that manage pension funds, hedge funds, mm -hmm. big investments, the stuff you and I are priced out of, so we buy index funds and whatever. Right. Not so, to get into a Tony Robbins interview, but, you know, right. this is what we do. Managing, like, the NYPD pension fund or right. the teacher's exactly. fund. Got it. So all of those people are making their decisions based on reports that are written by analysts on here's the state of the industry, here's the state of this company, mm -hmm. et cetera. These analysts get paid a lot of money right? sure. because their job is to study this report, et cetera. So Institutional Investor runs an annual ranking of who are the best. They survey all the people who are running the NYPD pension fund, and they ask who gives you the best information, right? So these are the star players in the industry, right? And they get ranked one, two, three in an honorable mention. These are the star players. And you can imagine once you hit that ranking, the phone rings a lot. Sure. Right? Because yeah. people want to snatch you away and get you to work at this other You're firm. literally worth as much money as people can throw at you times. Well, you think that, right? And that's right. why they call. What Groisberg studied was what happens to performance once these people move over. And he found that in most cases, the performance just drops. Now, back to David Berkus. So as soon as you start doing really well and you get popular, you tank? Well, if you move. Right. Because what you're doing is you're saying, yeah, it's all me. It's my oh, you switch firms. You switch got firms. It, you you okay. answer the head hunter call okay. and you switch firms. Your performance tanks. And there's an exception wow. to this. Actually, there's two exceptions that I think is really cool. The first one is women, which is interesting. But what the rationale for this is that because they're sort of not an old boys network, mm -hmm. women ha actually have to take more deliberate steps to build their network, to build resources, to get things. And when they're planted at a new firm, they'll be able to do that better because they've already refined it. The second one is what they call lift outs, which is you're a star player, so we're going to purchase your entire team. I mean, imagine if I ran a radio show or a radio network, and I said, Jordan, Art of Charm, it's awesome. I want to hire you, but I left Jason. That would not happen. I'd My have to bring your whole be. team because Absolutely. you can't do that level of performance without your whole team. Right. That's what Groisberg's research found, and that's why these star performers tanked, except those lift outs when we took uh, the whole team with us. So that begs this question of like, how much is performance? And by some cases, 60% of individual performance can actually be explained by the team that you're on, the company that you're in, the resources you have, all that sort of stuff. This is going straight to Jason's head right now. Both Jason, both, yeah. everybody on my production 
Justin Staff, who's hearing this right now, is going to ask raise. for a raise tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I apologize. Thanks but but they also know they can't go anywhere else because they're not going to do their best work either. I like it. It's a two-way street. Right. Okay, so good. even if you we're don't safe. work in HR, even if you're not a recruiter, there's that realization. And we're like, especially in the United States, we're super individualistic. So yes. it's all about me. It's my performance. And if I can get more money to go over here, I'm going. Well, you probably aren't going to take all that talent with you. Talent's not as portable as we thought. So it's that realization. And even if you're a solopreneur, which I know you don't like that term. <laughs> I don't have anything against it, really. It's just like many terms these days is being beaten up right. by overuse. So, But even if you work for yourself, you're entirely self-employed, I bet there is a team of probably 10 people who work for other firms but supply you and interact with you that you do your best work because of those people as well. I wonder if this transfers to our personal relationships. I mean, it seems obvious that some people aren't as good or as happy without their significant other, but I wonder if this transfers to people just being around familial relationships or something like yeah. that. Do you have any idea? So I don't know any, the academic in me goes, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know any yeah. research on that. I mean, I would suspect it is because what we have is that behavior is a function of personality and the environment. So at work, mm -hmm. behavior is a function of your individual personality, talents, the things you bring to the table and the environment that you're in. And the same thing applies, in, that I know applies in, in any field. Your behavior, how you act is a function of your personality and your environment. That's why whenever you go home for Thanksgiving or Christmas, like you turn back into that 18-year-old townie kid that goes back into the old faults because you're around that old sort of environment which tells us that the environment and the people that you're around sort of shapes your behavior. And you've got to be very deliberate about that. I actually just maybe two days ago cut somebody out of sort of my life mm. because they basically sent me this kind of just a jealous email thing. And it was about how like, oh, you're now doing the messenger role, but you've had no experience. And I wrote him back. And I was like, okay, one, I had five plus years in the pharmaceutical sorry about industry that email, before I made it. Yeah. Two, yeah, sorry. Yeah. But well, we're here talking. Right. So you didn't get the second part. And literally the second part was <laughs> yeah. goodbye. Oh, like, man. We're, we're just done. At this point, you're not adding sort of to it. And in fact, every time I interact with you, I'm going to think about this. That's going to affect how we interact. Yeah, Just completely like poisoned split the relationship. So long and thanks for all the fish. That's too bad because the motivation behind any email that's ever like that is strictly to put you in your place, right? right. Which is completely self-serving for the other person. All it does is make you annoyed with them. There's no good can ever come of that. When people send that stuff, I always wonder, what's your ideal outcome here? You go, you know what? You're right. I'm going to stop writing books and I'm, I'm going to yeah, stop speaking. I'm, yep, exactly. I'm going to shut the whole thing down because... You called me out. You right. got me. You're right. Exactly. Because I always wonder, what's the ideal outcome? Then? So to go back, you actually hinted at this earlier, is this idea that you have to remind yourself there's real world and virtual right. world. I think people don't think their behavior in the virtual world crosses that barrier. Matters, yeah. Like I found this when I launched Under New Management. I obviously I sent a lot of emails and did a lot of promotion around a very short period of time. I noticed got a few <laughs> you got a lot box. of them. Yeah. Right. And most people either like, you know, do what I want, which is help me by buying a copy of it, et cetera, or just ignore it and know like this is that season. Mm -hmm. But there's people who just want to like let off steam and write that. And they don't realize there's like a person on the other side of it. And so most people's advice was like, just ignore the haters. Scott Stratton would say like, you don't have to be a jerk whisperer. Yeah. You don't have to get through to them. But I actually wrote back to every single person and said like, hey, here's where I'm at. This is a really big thing. I've been providing two years of sort of free value leading up to this. And I thought it was an ask. I'm sorry. 95% of people wrote back and you're like, you're right. I was just, you know, frustrated. I got too many things in my email inbox, yeah. whatever. So it's really weird what happens when we, we have this virtual and this real world. And when you act like a person in this one, people right. are reminded that they are oh, also people and not just yeah. brains uploaded to a server and act not more yet. human. That I mean, will yeah. eventually be the case. If Ray Kurzweil tells me it's coming. Ray Kurzweil. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I did buy a copy. I do a lot of audiobooks and I noticed it was in your voice. Yeah, sorry about that. I was really looking forward to you lulling me to sleep. Uh, I was looking forward for to lulling week. you to sleep too. And yet... 
Nothing. <laughs> I got some random guy who's narrated a bunch of other books. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of that, I need to sell more books so they take me more seriously. Right. I guess so. No, a lot of that, like, I wish authors had a hand in, but there's a lot that I don't we think... sort of don't. We sold the contract and they're like a powerhouse. We're like, no, we got this. Like, literally, within like, I think it was two weeks, they had the audiobook version done. Right. Which sure. is a little depressing because it took me two years to write the thing. Right. And then they're like, oh, yeah, we got it. We already recorded it. We got our, our house and middle American male voice right from, from Dayton Ohio right exactly. killing it on the mic exactly yeah so, he did a good Sorry job no he did a good job he did yeah. I actually admittedly I haven't listened to it yet so I'm <laughs> probably sick know. of the material by now I would imagine nah, we won't say sick of it but you know the material I have intellectual well. ADHD so yeah I'm looking at other things already I'll tell you from a voiceover perspective I do a lot of voiceover work and doing audiobooks is a nightmare I never want to do it because you have to read the whole book if you do it well you're supposed to read the whole book, then you read the whole book again, and you mark it up, and you do like story mm -hmm. arcs and different, uh, the intonation should be like this here, it should be like that there, it should do this. Then you do it again with either a director or solo, and you create the audiobook product, and then usually, this is very unique to audiobooks only, usually you as the voiceover person for that audiobook, you have to edit it as well, mm. or you hire a producer to do so. They have their in-house guy, they probably do that separately, but that wasn't the first time that guy read your book. I guarantee right. if you run into that guy now, So he's was, as bored with it as you are now. He's more bored than all of us put together because he had to read it multiple times slowly enough to be edited into, I mean, you know audiobooks are read at about maybe a quarter of the speed you could read it normally. Right. And he's got to do it multiple times. So yeah. and like you and I both did separate. Um, Michael and Amy Sirota public speaking thing yeah. and content mapping, et cetera. Like, right. It's interesting to hear you say that because right up until the edit your own part, I was like, that's everything I do when I prep a speech. Except your book was 16 and a half hours or something like that. High five, you slogged through it. <laughs> I slogged through it at, at maybe a multiple of that. So it was like 1.5x or something. But still, that's a lot of cycling is when that happened. Oh, and so it was my book when you posted that thing about people who listen to them on speed. How do you do it? I'm on. I got a lot of content to get through here. So I thought it was pretty interesting that you didn't get to do your own book. There are a lot of authors that do get to voice over their own book that don't have speaking chops or presentation chops at all. And they right. still get to voice over their book. So it just, it was your agent or whatever. So let me, let me ask you this. Are you disappointed when you find that? Like, did you ever not buy a book because it was somebody else doing it? At first I bought a couple audiobooks and thought, I don't care if the author voices them over. It's stupid. Right. I don't care what this person sounds like. But bear in mind, now I'm interviewing more than 90% of the authors whose work I'm reading. So it's weird for me to listen to an entire book and then talk to the real person and go, why did they hire somebody else to do this book? It makes no sense. Yeah. So now I am disappointed when it's not the author. And I don't know if I would not buy it because I still have to prep for the show, but it is so stupid in my opinion to not have the author do it. I totally understand why they don't. It's actually a talent slash performance that many people who are great right. writers cannot do and should not do. But for me as an interviewer, I'm in this unique position where I'm going to hear your real voice anyway. I'd like to be used to it. And I like to remember you saying things that I heard in your book, which it's not happening yeah. if it's two different voices. No, see, that's so interesting. So I run a podcast that nobody listens to. <laughs> Till I mean, right now. We're linking to it in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, I should have done that better. So I run a podcast called Radio Free Leader that no one listens to. Right. And I've always made the case for the audiobook side because I feel like when you're in somebody's ears, like it's a different level of intimacy to get to their brain than just reading a page or whatever. It Maybe it's that virtual real separation or whatever. And I've always made that case. It's always failed, but I've always made that case to the publisher. They're like, no, it'll be worth it in the end. And it sounds like, I mean, at least for you, it was, it's worth it for a them. better experience. It was yeah. worth it for them because they didn't have to bug you to finish the audiobook and they have a studio and a guy that knows how to use it. That's true. That's I think true. it's worth it for them. And it's a lot less work for you. But if this is your kind of seminal work on XYZ subject, it seems like it should only be you presenting it. I would never let anyone else voice over my book that I don't have yet. 
Thanks so much for coming in. Is there anything else that you want to present to the AOC fans that I have not asked you yet? We hit the nail on the head. We talked a lot about it. There's a ton of resources in the book. And obviously, if you're disappointed because I'm not reading the audio book, right. there's a ton of resources on my site, davidbergis.com, to check out. The biggest lesson of all of this is there is value when you bridge that gap. Whatever your cluster and your network is, there's probably other people and other sources of knowledge that can help you figure out how to do your life better. And if you can figure out how to bridge that gap, you're going to be a lot more successful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good stuff. I love the idea of using social media feeds to keep up with your network. That is money. I mean, if there's one takeaway from this, and there were many, that is certainly it. And I think there's important concepts to be seen here about the productivity, the level of your network, how people around you affect you, how those teams can make or break you. There's a lot there for institutions and for individuals alike. So if you enjoyed that one, don't forget to thank David on Twitter. We'll link that in the show notes, as well as the other resources mentioned on the show. You can tap our album art in most mobile podcast players to see the cheat sheet for this episode. We'll link to the show notes right on your phone. I'm also on Twitter, at The Art of Charm. On Twitter, I post articles, insights, and talk a lot with uh, show fans and guests alike. So check that out if you're into that. I also want to encourage you to join us in our social capital challenge. That's theartofcharm.com slash challenge or in the USA only text charmed to 33444. That's C-H-A-R-M-E-D to 33444. It's all about improving your networking and connection skills and inspiring those around you to develop personal and professional relationships with you. We'll also email you our fundamentals toolbox that I mentioned earlier on the show. I'm also doing regular videos with drills and exercises to help you move forward, and this will make you a better networker. It'll make you a better connector, and it'll make you a better thinker. That's theartofcharm.com slash challenge or text charmed to 33444. This episode of The Art of Charm was produced by Jason DeFilippo. Jason Sanderson is our audio engineer and editor. Show notes on the website are by Robert Fogarty. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. Now go ahead, tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else either in person or shared on the web. Now stay charming and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and more at theartofcharmpodcast.com.